The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, good to see you this morning. A um, couple of things to say before I kick off, one of which is to uh, just reflect a little bit. It would be remiss of me not to reflect the fact that England won the Cricket World Cup last Sunday. Uh, and the fact that as I stood here last Sunday, for those of you here, Rene August, who was visiting from South Africa, had the temerity to say that she did not care who won, but that cricket would be the winner. And actually, the reality is she was right. So she is clearly a lady of great faith and authority that I need to learn uh, from too. Uh, and so um, I know that's a bit trivial, but I'd also say that last Sunday, I gather when we, we gather here today, and I do want to constantly remind you as we gather, nobody knows what kind of week you've had. Nobody knows what's gone on, whether you've been actually had an amazing week, because for whatever reason, a game of 11 people whacking a cricket ball brings you a huge amount of joy. Or actually, like me, on that same Sunday, where late at night I was celebrating, I found one of our good friends was killed riding a bike. And actually, as we gather as God's people, we do so knowing that for many of us, we gather maybe in joy, or in sorrow, and everything in between. And we know that the circumstances of our life are such that actually we come because we know that God is true and God is faithful. And that's why we're here this morning. I was also quite challenged last Sunday with Nigel preaching, talking about rest. Are we prepared to take rest? To get our souls at rest. And actually, we enter a series during the summer, a period of summer, where um, <clears throat> we're going to do that practically, where things are a bit quieter. I know if you don't have kids, you don't always have that routine, and I do appreciate that, by the way. But actually, we, we get an opportunity to engage in a different season and to encourage you to think about how you use your time this summer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again that you're true, you're good, you're faithful. All the time. Would we glimpse afresh some more of your goodness this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, for those of you who've been here regularly on a Sunday morning, you'll know that we're looking at the life of Jesus through Luke's gospel all year. <clears throat> Jesus is the person who did it full square at the center of Christian faith. 
But do we know him? But do we know him? Do we know who he is? How much do we know of him? Are we interested? What kind of picture have we got of Jesus? And does that matter to you this morning? What does that mean for you this morning? See, the way we see Jesus, the way we understand who Jesus is, affects everything about our lives. Life, death, the church, mission, everything. We've reached an interesting few verses, and I'm sorry for those of you who love real detail, but I'm not going to get into massive detail around these particular verses, but I will cover them. So you'll see in verse 16 this really interesting place in the part of the narrative of Luke's gospel. It says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. So I wonder this morning, I want to just take a bit of time to backtrack and just have a look at uh, the Bible and just have a think about that. Then I'll come back to some bits in the verse later on. Why take time to read the Bible? You know, we're busy people. When you leave this church, you've got however many days of the week, six and a half, seven days of the week, where you've got a choice about what you do or what you don't do. Why carve out any time to read this? What is it about this that's worthy of any of your attention this week? I meet many people who would say, do you know what, the Bible, it's so dull, it's so boring. Yet for Christians, it's the most precious book in the world. The psalmist describes the words of God in different places, but one is the one that's way the psalmist describes the word of God is more precious than gold. More precious than gold. Why? Why? Because the Bible introduces us to God. God is the leading character in the Bible. Therefore, the Bible is not just another book of humankind's quest for meaning and for God but the account of God's own story of God's search for us. The narrative of the Bible is his story. It's his story. God's revelation to us, God's great story, underlines the whole of human history. The story that gives history a purpose. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning one of the ways to look at it is to understand the whole of the Bible the sweep of Scripture in three different, sorry, four different chapters. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. See, in this great drama, what we find as we read through, through Scripture is God is the protagonist in this great drama. Satan is the antagonist. And God's people sometimes are the foils, and actually sometimes we too are the antagonists. But let me give you a quick overview this morning of the story. The story begins at creation, where God is a majestic figure. In the beginning, in the beginning, God signals that God existed before all things, that God is the cause of all things, that God rules above all things, that God alone is the goal of all things. 
This opening scene in the Bible presents God as the sole creator of the vast, intricate, beautiful world. And of human history itself. And what do we see, it says? And God said, it was good. God said, it was good. We then find in God's own words in Genesis 1.26 that let us make humankind in our own image, stamp humanity, humankind, as the crowning glory of God's creative work. Each one of us are made in God's likeness, in whom he delights. God takes delight in his creation and longs to commune with us for us to know his love, know his presence, know his favor. In creation, we see a clear picture of God and humankind in a joyful, loving relationship together where we are dependent and love to be with God and God with us. And God said, it was good. The second chapter of the story is a great story. It's a long and tragic one. It begins in Genesis 3 and works all the way through. You'll still see it in Revelation 22 as the thread, an ugly thread, throughout the whole story. It relates how man and woman were suspicious of God's goodness, coveted God's status, and in one awful moment, acted to become God's themselves. See, they chose independence from God. And that was catastrophic, called the fall. And the, the implication and the consequences of those things are found three ways, particularly as a consequence of that throughout the story. First is this, is that as part of that, we lost our vision of God. We lost our vision of who God is, not seeing and knowing God clearly. And what we continually do is we project onto God an image of who we think God is, should be like or is like because of that. So God is to blame, clearly, for the mess in the world. Why have you made me like this? Why are you so cruel? As Paul says in Romans 1, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Second, we lost a vision of our true selves. We were created to be like God, to image God to the world, meaning full. we were intended to be full of love, of kindness, of generosity, of self-giving, of being thoughtful and merciful. That's the way God created us to be. But instead, we became spiteful. We became selfish. We became miserly. We became thoughtful and unforgiving with glimpses of the divine image of us, only sometimes visible. Thirdly, we lost God's presence. We forfeited the relationship. We were bound to be in a joyful relationship with God. And we became cast adrift away from God. We became alone in the world. We had chose to abuse God's laws, abuse his creation. The price, the price of that choice, loneliness, pain, 
alienation, enslaved to our guilt and our shame. And what the Bible shows us and what the Bible tells us is that there's a great distance that's opened up between God and us. Maybe like a son who runs off to live in a far-off country. Maybe this morning in one of our better moments, we face up to the truth about ourselves. But mostly, we blame other people. The third chapter of the story is one of redemption, that the holy and just God um, is also God who's full of love and mercy and faithfulness, even when we're in our rebellious state. That God sought us out to get to, re- to help us re- rediscover the joy of being in relationship and fellowship with Him. But the story continues to show how He resists His advances towards us. So we know the story, but simplistically, God came to a man, Abraham, and made a covenant with him to bless him and through him to bless the nations. He later came through his descendants to Israel who had become an enslaved people in the book of Exodus. And through Moses, they freed his people from slavery and made a covenant with them on Mount Sinai. God promised on Mount Sinai that he would be their rescuer, their protector, and their savior forever. But their part of the bargain was that they would need to be reshaped back into God's likeness. God gave them a gift, the law, to reveal to them what God is like, to protect them from each other as God continued the reshaping process. But what we see in the story throughout the Old Testament is Israel rebelled again and again, turning to other gods and to other people. So what did God do? God finally sent another great prophet, Samuel, who anointed them the the ideal king to lead them, who was David, who made another promise that one of David's offspring would rule over people forever that we see in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. God then continued to reach out. He sent prophets. He sent sages. He sent singers to continue to keep the reshaping process alive to be in relationship with us. But throughout that story, people continued to be faithless. But God left the door open to us to give us the opportunity to return to him. Even promised great things for our futures. We'll know in the great passages in places like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel that on a day would come when God would pour his spirit out that our hearts be transformed from a heart of flesh to a heart, from, to a heart of stone, from a heart of, the other way around, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That God would transform them into his likeness. And this final blessing would be a blessing for all nations. This final son of David is none other than God himself, Jesus as he presents himself onto the scene, onto into creation in a human likeness. And that what we discover is through the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and then the giving of the Spirit, Jesus overcame all the powers that opposed God and enslaved us.
he himself gave his own life to bear our guilt and our shame and our punishment and our rebellion so that we could be free again. So here is the heart of the story. A loving, merciful, gracious, forgiving, and redeeming God took on human form in Jesus to restore our lost vision of what God was like, to restore us into the image in which we were intended and created, and whose gift of the Spirit restored his presence in ongoing fellowship with him, with mankind. Our passage today shows Jesus preaching, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God to a group of people, but including the Pharisees who scoffed at Jesus. But Jesus rebuked them. He said, look at the state of your hearts. The combined expression you'll see here in verse 16 of the Law and Prophets means the whole of the Old Testament. The boundary line in history is the, the Old Testament, then John the Baptist came, and then it's Jesus. So Jesus ushers in a new state of affairs, a new era, a new day. The good news of the kingdom of God was amongst them. Jesus is fulfilling century-old expectation as God intervenes in a final decisive moment. As Jesus brings their dynamic, transforming, ruling presence of the kingdom of God into all their lives, into his creation. And notice, for those of you who follow the detail of things, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, fulfilling it in the minutest details. When people see and grasp Jesus' message and who he is, they are ready to press their way into it. Be reconciled to God this morning. Jesus' teaching raises uh, the issue of his authority here. Would you listen to Jesus? Do you want to listen to Jesus? Will you listen to his message? Whose kingdom this morning are we serving? Jesus cares, and what you'll see in this passage in Luke is both in the bit before and the bit after. Jesus cares about how we see money. The kingdom of God means that every part of our life is open to what God wants for us. He cares about our marriages and our relationships and the choices we make and how we do that. To honor God this morning and to choose God's kingdom and to sing that we good put God's kingdoms first means to be faithful to him in all areas of life. That doesn't mean to say we're instantly made perfect, but it does mean that God continues that work of growth and transformation into his likeness as we give our lives to him. Are we becoming more like Jesus this morning? As a church, are we becoming more like Jesus? That's our goal. That's our goal. The final act of the story has obviously not completely ended. The final chapter is currently still playing out. But this story is also full of hope and has an ending 
do we anticipate as Jesus comes again? Bear in mind when Jesus stood at the grave of his friend Lazarus, Jesus explained this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will never die. Even though they die, will live. Jesus showed that as he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus then demonstrated that as he overcame death himself, overcoming the grave for our sakes, spelling the end for those who put their trust in Jesus of death itself. God wraps up the whole story by promising to restore and complete the reshaping and the remolding process in making all things new. A new heaven and a new earth. As in the age of the Spirit, God renews all things. Sometimes uh, when I meet up with people um, and talk about what they think of Jesus today or what they know of Jesus, um, they say this, you know, they're very common. They say, you know, Tim, if there's a God, why doesn't he show himself to us? Why doesn't he show himself to us? And the answer through Scripture is this. He already has. God has clearly revealed himself firstly in creation. But supremely, God has revealed himself in Jesus. That's the ultimate revelation of God. But how do we know about Jesus? How do we know about Jesus? We know about Jesus because of this book. Because of this book, the Bible. God's own story. And it's good news this morning for you, if you choose to enter into it. The pastor, Rick Warren, was quoted with this, talking about the Bible. He says this, Reading the Bible generates life. It produces change it heals hurts, it builds character. It transforms circumstances, it imparts joy. It overcomes adversity, it defeats temptation, it infuses hope, it releases power. It cleanses the mind. This is our story. Through faith in Jesus, we can become part of God's own story. This morning, will you choose God's kingdom. This week, will you choose God's kingdom? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Father, we recognize the challenges and the temptations that many of us face. And we ask by your Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come afresh and reveal more of you to us? And would you help us would you help us in this, this season of our life to discover more of the wonder and the riches and the beauty and the glory of your kingdom? 
Thank you that you pursue us. You long for us. Thank you that you've not given up on us this morning, even though we're tempted to give up on you. Would you fall afresh upon our lives? Thank you that you came to set us free. And that you're faithful and you're true. In Jesus' name, amen.